Welcome to The Spawn Chunks, episode number 207 for Monday, August 22nd, 2022. My name is Johnny, but the internet knows me as PixelRefs, and joining me, as always, is a carefully sculpted Joel Duggan. Hi, Joel. You are too kind, too kind. <laughs> I, knew, I knew the gym was paying off. I just did not know how much it would come across on a podcast. Now we know. <laughs> now we know. It's an audio uh, you... medium. You'll leave, leave it to their imagination. <laughs> exactly. And if you have an imagination uh, or want your imagination sparked, then uh, you might want to listen to The Render Distance. It's the extended version of the podcast that Johnny and I record every week for our patrons. Uh, this week we were talking about Johnny's trip to a sculpture garden and how expensive art is in national galleries and whether or not we think that's a good thing <laughs> so uh check out that at patreon.com slash the chunks each and every week uh and coming up for patrons we also have the monthly minecraft hangout usually that is on the last saturday of the month that is going to be uh, saturday august 27th this month and uh, you can stay tuned in the discord for record times usually it's around 11 o'clock atlantic or 3 p.m in the british area of the world uh, and then we will um, inform everyone in the discord as per any changes between now and then but usually we we keep it pretty steady all right so uh so what's new in the citadel what's uh, what's happened in your minecraft life this week i was tempted greatly by adjusting that tower in the uh west of the town last week <clears throat> so this weekend when i returned to west hill i decided to just jump at this large build this is five to six times larger than any of the houses that i've been building as of late uh it presents all kinds of different problems <laughs> mm -hmm. uh and uh so i've been tackling those kind of one at a time and um because of the experience and the planning and forethought i've been using in another game i'm playing satisfactory i've decided after I already had the loose blueprint for this, I decided to go inside and start mapping out exactly how I wanted the inside of this build to feel. And I'm glad I did, because not only did I end up widening the main room by two blocks, I also ended up making it asymmetrical and pushing kind of like an entry nave into the build, because what was happening was when you walked in, I wanted there to be the, kind of like a big, not a board table, but a big main hall table in front of the fireplace when you walked in. And whenever you walked in the door, the way that it was originally set up, you felt like you were right on top of it. And now there's a lot more space. Uh, and through that, I was able to then work out like, how are the rafters gonna go? Where's the light gonna come from? How am I gonna handle the windows? Like, how do I make this look like it's structurally sound? And because I haven't done any work on this at all, it was basically just like a cobblestone frame. Do I wanna double up on the wall width to make sure that I've got detail for you know relief and all that kind of stuff. So mm -hmm. it's been a good lesson in terms of not rushing into like, well, I've got the roof out there, let's just fill it in. So I've made some adjustments along the way. Um, the biggest one was trying to put some windows into the roof, which is a large kind of like block of, of dark oak and ultimately settled on one kind of dormer that has like four big windows in it and i've never done anything like this before and what i'm trying to do with this build is not fall into the traps of all the things that i've been doing over and over again for different roofs it's like i've got a different scale you know i should try different windows i should try different things and i'm trying to take a page from people like you mythical sausage and whip uh, i see pearlescent moon do this a lot too building what in your brain feels like chunky detail Mm -hmm. But then when you're on the ground or you're far away, it just reads as ornate detail. Like it yeah. doesn't look like it's a meter wide 
bit of detail. It looks just like a nice kind of bit of detailing, dental work, whatever. So I'm trying to kind of get outside of my comfort zone and, and do stuff like that. I'm really happy with the inside. The inside has come together quite nicely and I've been leaning into these happy pathways or happy accidents. And as I always do when I'm inside a build, before I start doing textures on the outside, I wanna make sure all the stairwells and the pathways to get to different areas of this build make sense inside and are at least doable. So if I have to nudge a wall or if I have to adjust things that I'm not stuck with like, well, now the only way to get up this place is like with a ladder. You know, mm -hmm. I want to make sure I can do stairs and things like that. And it does two things. One, it makes sense for me. My brain just likes that kind of setup in these builds. I like them to make sense on the inside. But also it really speeds up your building because now instead of going up and down scaffolding to try and finish the stuff, I can just walk up to the second level. There's a staircase. Yeah. And so uh -huh. it, it makes a lot, it makes a lot of sense and you end up running around. And in that process, if you start like bonking your head or if you start like, if you don't find the staircases working that well, as you're traveling up and down it, fix it, you know, you can move it or see if you can move it and, or kind of make the, the best of it as, as you can. Uh, and so right now, there's like a mezzanine level, which is really cool. So you can be up there and look down at the main hall. Uh, you can go outside uh, or will you, you will eventually be able to go outside onto like a stone supported balcony. It, that part's not done. Uh, and then there's also a front to the building that's almost like castle-esque, has a big kind of like a double tower entry to it, um, very protected. And I want to have access from the roof to that as well. You can get access through a stairwell, but I want to make sure there's other access points and stuff. So I'm trying to kind of like just get as many different pathways so that you can run through this house as, as best you can. And one of my favorite parts, which you can't really see, but it's fun when you walk through it, is that to get to a stairwell to go downstairs, you actually have to go outside. So you have to go to a tower, but your little bridge to the tower takes you out in the open. And then you go downstairs. Mm -hmm. And it's just one of those kind of like medieval fantasy things that doesn't really make any sense, but it's kind of cool. Yeah. Um, I might try to light it with like a lantern or something like that. So that if you happen to be around the back of the building, you'll be like, oh, there's a pathway there. I should see where that goes, you know, trying to entice people to, to look around. It's on a really unique spike of land or twist in the river. So I've got a, a, an interesting piece of property to work with. I'm going to try to make it into like a garden or something. So there's a lot of work left to be, you know, left to be done. But it's really fun because it's not just another house I have to squeeze into a small space on the road. You know, I don't have to worry about what it's next to because it's just going to be its own thing. It can be as, as different as it wants to be. Um, I went with dark oak on the roof only because it looks fancy. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and I felt like every other color just wasn't really working for me. So, um, And all the big structures in the town, the towers, the keep the main gate they've all got the dark oak roof so i thought well i should maybe keep with that theme for the like the big big structures you know yeah no so three things about this first of all i love the roof detail like Thank that you. that massive dormer with the different kind of arched windows in it looks great because it's so different from everything else you've got in the town the roof is large enough that you don't have yeah. to go with the kind of smaller dormer windows that you'd be putting on some of the smaller structures in the town so automatically it stands out as just that one house with the really cool roof window and so that that kind of gives it its own character 
Um, so yeah, I, I really like that. And like you said, from a distance, it does look a lot more like a kind of structural architectural feature than up close where you're maybe noticing some of the finer detail. You're looking at every single block in it. From a distance, it blends and it feels structural, even if structurally speaking, close up, it doesn't make as much sense architecturally for for whatever reason in terms of like the amount of stone that's in there would the roof be able to support that all of those things that you think about and then you think well actually no this is minecraft we don't need to worry about that too much um and that brings me to my second point is something i've learned from D is that the rule of cool always applies like if nice. something is cool we're playing a video game it doesn't matter if it's like not realistic for how medieval style would have been necessarily unless you are really strictly trying to adhere to medieval style for like reproduction of an existing you know medieval settlement or something like that you don't need to worry too much about that stuff and if it leads to stuff that you think looks good then that's the entire point of the exercise as far as i'm concerned right so that that'll lead me into some of the stuff that i'm doing in in, in a second but um the last thing is yeah the mezzanine level thing works especially with a house this size and obviously like it's a big house somebody prominent somebody rich is going to live there and one of the things that I found really useful about the architecture book that I did like a study session on a while ago and I still really need to return to is that the whole first chapter is about floors and one of the things it says in that chapter is that floors have always been a symbol of status. The fact that you had a floor laid in your house to begin with obviously in earlier days when building materials were more scarce or when people just had like dirt floor in viking longhouses and that kind of thing right like to actually have a laid floor and you know polished so that it wouldn't give your feet splinters and that kind of stuff. That's how status starts to build up in the form of floors. And what you've got in this room is a balcony that you can look down on people who are eating at the table in the centre of it all in front of the fire. And so there is a place for the lord of this house, whoever it is, to look down upon his guests who are revelling in the hall and he's above them and he can see everything that's going on. And so that in itself as an architectural feature lends a lot of credence to the idea that a rich person lives there because that's what a rich person would end up having in their house. They've got the room for it in the height of the ceiling to begin with, but there's also just an element of status to that that I think really comes across. Thanks, man. That was the that was the mission was to kind of have it be either like, you know, some sort of guild master or we don't really have like a profession or a, an association for the person or, or people that live there. But I definitely wanted to have like more of a, a rich kind of vibe. There's a spot in the front where I've got four stairs connected in a circle. So it creates kind of like a recess. And I'm, I might like allow myself to use a, an armor stand and put like an emerald block or a, a lapis mm -hmm. block or something there. Just kind of really kind of sell it as like this is fancy, you know, like this yeah. has got some, some stuff going on. I also want to try to put some sort of coat of arms or something above the, um, the fireplace and oh, yeah. the inside details are going to take a while. And it's, it's, I've been wanting to try and get either a texture pack or, uh, a data pack for, for banners. Um, even if it's just as simple as just keeping them from swaying around indoors, you mm -hmm. know, uh, or allow me to place them in different configurations because I, I've done that once before where I found a banner pattern that looked like curtains, but this is the kind of place that would be well to do enough that there would be curtains or tapestries or something yeah. hanging between the windows. I don't want to block the windows because the view is really cool. Now that I'm getting up into higher places and you look out over the town, like you can see the main gate through the windows and it's amazing. It, it really feels like the, the, the building is in a place, not just, you know, up on a hill somewhere. Yeah, and for sure. so 
And so I'm looking into stuff like that, but thanks. Yeah. Like I like the, I, the idea of trying to communicate in like that kind of stature in this area. I've been trying to do more like these people have flower gardens, not vegetable gardens. Cause they don't have to grow their own food. They can afford to go buy it from somebody else, you know? Yeah. And, and I'll have to do, um, I might put like a kitchen in the basement. We were joking around on steamer boat, uh, on stream about putting like a, a torture dungeon or something in the basement. Like maybe the people that live there are vampires and they <laughs> have people in the basement. I just, it could be all kinds of fun, right? Because there's room enough underneath this to have like secret passageways to buildings next door. And I, it could just lead to a whole kind, all kinds of fun projects that you'd never see from walking around, but are just kind of like interesting things to lean into. And, um, because when I, when I, push the floor of this out over the cliff of course it left a big gap which means i don't even have to dig out the basement it just kind of exists so i yeah. can go down and, and see what i can do there which could be it could be very very fun like like the dark the the farther down you go the darker and scarier it gets you know like first floor kitchen second floor you know a pantry and like food storage and then like what's underneath that like oh this is the torture dungeon how'd that get there yeah. <laughs> I don't know. we'll we'll figure it out as we go but but and, i appreciate i appreciate the compliments man that's very kind and, of you and with lighting the way it is in 118 and beyond now you can you can make that dungeon level of yes. your house like as gloomy as you want it to be which is yeah. which is great um Speaking of dungeons, uh, since we're going to get onto that topic, uh, I'll I'll finally be able to share with you something that I've been working on behind the scenes on Empire's SMP. The video about it came out today, or my video about it did. In fact, it, it got aired in Joey Graceffa's Minecraft series, uh, his Empire series, last week. Um, so on Empire's SMP, one of the things I pitched to the folks on the server before we started the season was that I want to be like a dungeon master. I want to have a few things built around the world that are going to be part of people's stories and if they can give me like a couple of pointers as to like what direction their story is heading and what they want from me I can try and um you know build a couple of things in the distance and people can stumble upon them or we can contrive some method of them finding them and so joey came to me and said i want a hideout for some skeleton pirates who have thrown me off my ship at the beginning of the series i've got to build up again from nothing i get a ship i get a crew i want a member of my crew to be captured in this skeleton hideout and i want to find a weapon up there that he was gonna like you know customize the texture for the weapon and make sure i had it so i could hide it somewhere in there so I figured the only thing that I can do with skeleton pirates, like the only reasonable thing to do with skeleton pirates is build an enormous skull. So that's what I did. <laughs> I went out to this location in the jungle really far north where nobody else on the server had really gone at that point, And I found a, a kind of inlet to a river in the jungle, which was perfect for having a skeleton base because you could only really approach it from one angle from the front. So it's not like he was going to, you know, sail up to the back of it and be like, well, the heck's this? And then have to go around to the side, right? Um, and I even ended up laying a trail there that meant he had to go to the north of this thing and then enter the river from the north heading south so that he'd run up to the, the face of it in the boat. Um, and that came across pretty well in the video, so I was super happy about that. But inside this giant skull is effectively like a pirate fort. There's a dock, there's battlements of this kind of like this fortified wall that have been built up there. There's an old chapel that's kind of ruined and abandoned. And then there's a bunch of other stuff that the skeleton pirates have built there. A couple of different building styles, a lot of mangrove, and uh, that gets mixed in with um, blackstone and deep slate and the kind of darker brooding sort of 
uh, color palette that I figured these skeletons would have because they're pretty metal. Um, and I, I just loaded the place with loot, had a couple of like parkour challenges to, you know, help him get around and a couple of like little redstone challenges and stuff like that on the inside, a couple of puzzle elements, basically. Um, so yeah, I just wanted to build something cool and piratey. Uh, I ended up building the exterior in creative, but then rebuilding it in survival on the server using the schematic from Lightmatica. And once again, that's been so useful <laughs> in, in designing some big stuff like this, because I effectively, to make the back of the skull properly like spherical or close enough to spherical that fit the build, I had to generate a sphere in MC Edit and then sculpt the outside of that to make sure it worked, to make sure it was hollow. And it left me with a lot of interior building space to to just pack with stuff. Um, the The problem I had building this the entire time was that I had this really clever idea of, oh, he's going to extinguish a campfire, and because an observer can detect that as a block state change, I can have him extinguish a campfire, and then that, you know, raises a staircase that leads him up to the next level, the mezzanine floor, right? Um, but then I installed that really early, and then I set it up and all of the stairs were flattened into the floor and I thought this is going to be great. Now I need to get up there. And I and I have his, I, I have intentionally not left any other routes to get up to that level. So I was constantly having to like break blocks, jump up, replace the blocks again just in case I leave them there. Because I wanted <laughs> to make sure the only way he could get up there was these staircases. So yeah, I, I, had, I had a bit of a time working on that. And thankfully by that point I'd got enough gunpowder together that I could use fireworks to fly around the inside of this thing when I was working on the the higher up bits. Um, there were a few other opportunities to use redstone. There was a target practice range because of course skeletons are archers so it made sense to have like a little target practice thing in there. But then one of the target blocks unlocked a secret entrance into a guard tower which meant he had you know, a bit more opportunity to jump around there and get more loot. There was some loot behind a painting, you know, all of that kind of stuff. And then the funniest thing happens when he's running through the dungeon and he gets to the the weapon in the chest and everything and then there's one spot up in the top corner basically of this cave where there's a lectern that I've left a book on that says, you know, the, the leader of the pirates knows that he's alive. It kind of moves the story forward because he thinks, okay, this pirate captain is now hot on my trail, right? And I left that up there and I left some dripstone spikes that he could probably have like climbed up and parkoured to and from them and then for set dressing i put a bunch of moss and and stuff coming down from the roof of the cave and i thought okay i'll put some glow berries up there that'll illuminate it a little bit more maybe prevent any natural mob spawns in that corner without putting too many other lights around and i left it and when joey ran through this evidently either he or i had been there for long enough that those cave vines had grown a whole bunch and so instead of parkouring up the dripstone what he ended up doing was climbing up the cave vines because they had grown long enough that he could leap to them he could climb up just kind of holding space and then jump down onto the area where the lectern was from there completely unintentional on my part so like emergent gameplay happened in this dungeon i designed which was just nice. one of the the most fun things of watching him run through the whole the whole bit but it went really well and i have ideas for like five more of these at least so i'm very much looking forward to doing more of this that's awesome like that's taking the design a mini game in minecraft to a whole other level you know like the the if it's cool rule you know in yeah in D, D and like this strikes me as like that combination of your experience with D D as a dungeon master obviously you're what you're working with on empires 
uh, this this season as as the lore master. But then also it it reminds me of like this is a Lego set. Like this yeah. is mm-hmm. absolutely something you'd see as like pirate Lego island, you know? Like, yeah, and the, and, the, uh, and the face of the skull like swings open or something, and there's all yeah, this stuff exactly. on the inside. Yeah, yeah, no, it has it has that kind of scale and level of detail where like there's just stuff everywhere, you know? Like yeah, yeah. everywhere you look, you do, you want to go, including uh, as we just mentioned, banners which you know have the skull and crossbone on them, which I mean obviously go a great deal to, to sell it even more as pirates, you know? Like and and the mangrove wood, like it has that. It has that tropical cobbled together kind of stuff, you know, where like this could have been part of a boat, <laughs> you know, that crashed. Yeah. And so they use that. And then you've got um, obviously any time, anytime you use like fence posts as rope, it looks like the kind of big, heavy, like mooring ropes that you'd get from ships, that kind yeah. of thing. Yeah, totally. And and so, yeah, th- there were so many elements of that that came together and I... I designed the exterior with Lightmatica, but the interior was all basically freestyle in survival, and I was just like adding bits onto it, like like you said with the Lego set, just kind of like what can I bring in here that's going to look cool in this area. Uh, chest boats were really cool to stash loot in because, of course, these are pirates, and so they'd be rowing chests full of loot back to the right. docks to like load onto their their kind of stash of ill-gotten gains. I thought that was going to be really fun. Um, there are a couple of minor frustrations with skeleton AI. There's the one thing I'm taking away from this is like, make sure the mobs are locked down in specific areas because I, I lured a bunch of skeletons in, name tagged them so they wouldn't despawn. I gave them all funny names and then I hoped they would kind of spread out and just kind of mill around the area. And then what happened is they fell into the trap that I had where I couldn't jump back up to the second floor of this whole mm. thing in that they they found like the one block that they could just kind of casually hop down onto and a couple of other areas where there was only like a two block drop or something from there. Impossible to jump up, but very easy to jump down. And then all of the skeletons ended up at the front of the build. <laughs> so when he arrived, he got absolutely like hail of arrows coming at him from the from the skeletons and then nothing anywhere else in the cave so the, <laughs> the the one other surprise i had in mind was that when he shot the target and opened up that secret guard tower door there was a wither skeleton in there and the wither skeleton climbed a ladder at the back and then it didn't get down from there and and so its head was halfway up into a trap door and then he just shot it with an arrow from a distance and he's like mm. oh elite guard i better be on my toes which was fine he played it really well but I, I did really feel like, oh, the Wither Skeleton should just have been there, so when he walks in, there should be, you know, something coming at him right away. Um, but, you know, like, it, it's they say never work with children and animals. I'm adding hostile mobs to that list for this this whole exercise. <laughs> I, have, I have plans in future to use hostile mobs much more tactically than that instead of having them be able to just freely roam an area. Like, they need to be mm. in cells, in minecarts, in boats, whatever. But as long as they can just be in static locations, that is probably how I'm going to design dungeons like this from now on. I've always liked the idea of putting skeletons behind walls and then having a player trip something that just drops a block so that the skeletons have line of sight. It's like yeah. it's like mm-hmm. having, instead of having dispensers shoot arrows, having like live skeletons shoot arrows at a, at a player. But if you have enough skeletons behind the walls, then it could actually be quite funny. Yeah, yeah. I mean, have them in like little bunkers, little turrets mm-hmm. or whatever. Yeah, like totally. Yeah. I could I could do some stuff like that in future. I've got I've got a few plans that again I don't want to reveal now because I've yeah, got a lot of lot of cool stuff in mind. But yeah, we'll we'll see we'll see what the future holds for for dungeon design. But it is fun being a dungeon master on Empires at this point. I'm I'm looking forward to more opportunities to do that. 
Moving on to the news, uh, there isn't really any, I'm afraid, as far as the Minecraft angle goes at least. We haven't seen anything from Minecraft.net, and at this point with September on the way, October shortly after that, it's usually the way the year works, uh, we are assuming that the team is getting their heads down and working towards whatever they're going to be presenting at Minecraft Live this year. Uh, it seems like whatever tweaks they needed to make to the chat reporting feature in 119, they are comfortable with for the time being and maybe just waiting for more data to come in on that, but it doesn't look like there's a 119.3 on the way or anything, so we don't really have any news for you this week. Uh, we have some podcast-related news, though, because Impulse SV is going to be coming back and joining us for uh, a second episode. Uh, he's going to be here for episode 208 next Monday on August 29th. Uh, we're going to be helping him celebrate the launch of his Imp and Skiz podcast with his good friend Skizzleman and the creation of his new home studio, along with, obviously, a discussion about what he's been doing in Minecraft lately and the uh, continuing success of the Hermitcraft server. But aside from that, no real news on this front, so I think it's probably... Time for us to get into listener email. Sounds like a plan to me. And if you have an email that you'd like to send the show specifically for the Impulse SV episode, make sure you indicate that in the subject line of the email so that we can file them and make sure they don't get lost in the uh, great deal of email that we get, uh, as well as indicate if you are a patron or not in the subject line. That will help us out a great deal. If you would like to send an email, you can send that to spawnchunkmail at gmail.com. Keep them short, keep them sweet. And that's how you get considered for the podcast, just like Mark with a C. The subject is updating maps for caves. Joel and Johnny, in the caves and cliffs update, I decided to make my base in the mountain. However, I'm not drawn to build a massive base in a cave since one of my favorite things to do in Minecraft is to map my base and see the progress. This isn't possible in my cave base. After watching Whip build Gobland on Empires, it's got me thinking that since the base is so cool, wouldn't it be great if you could use the cartography table and something sky-related like, say, a phantom membrane to change your map and allow you to adjust the Y-level visible on the map? Everything above a new Y-level would become, quote-unquote, the sky, and the map would show everything a player placed below it. I can imagine people building underground bunker bases now displaying their base level by level. What do you think? Mark died walking off a cliff, being so focused on watching his map changing with two hands. <laughs> oh yes, the, uh, the 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 bedrock players converting to Java and realizing, wait, we can have maps in our offhand. Always such a delight. And uh, yeah, I mean, I want to say first of all, fair play to Mark for suggesting phantom membrane instead of yet another thing we could do with echo shards. I like to see, I like to see people <laughs> looking back towards stuff like phantom membrane. And since phantoms are now here to stay, much to the community's chagrin, it's a good thing to hear more uses coming through for those because that's. Elytra repair material and slow falling potions, which are both very optional things, and so I think it's it's cool to have more opportunities for item uses like that. So good idea, Mark. I like that. And you know, membrane like leather, it kind of has like a similar kind of vibe. You can imagine it being stretched over a map or you know used as a map material for different qualities. You know. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's not necessarily like the most logical thing as far as like the practicalities of a map, but then it's funky crafting recipes and it's doing what we can with it. So I think yeah. it's 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 got uh, the the right sort of thinking behind it for sure. It's too bad that underground maps don't work or maps in the Nether. I mean, the Nether I guess is by design so that you get lost easy. Like I guess yeah. that's probably why they don't work in the in the Nether. But with all the new biomes that they have and with you know the exploration and stuff that happens underground, I mean, perhaps it's the same reason they want players to try to get you know to have the, I guess 
chance of getting lost and having that be a, a, a peril, you know, for you if you're going caving and you're not paying attention to where you're going. Um, I think controlling the Y level is an interesting concept, though I imagine it would be hard to implement something so granular. Yeah. But I don't know enough about how that might work because there are like MC Selector, the app that we use to trim chunks for Java edition, you can control the Y level display on that, which will allow you to make sure that you're not deleting something underground that you can't see from the top level. Mm -hmm. um, but that app also does a pretty good job of like, kind of like intuitively showing you, well, we're detecting a lot of player placed blocks here. So we're gonna kind of give you a cut of way anyway. Cause I found trimming my nether chunks with that app very easy because I was easy to see everything that I was doing and the nether has got a ceiling like you you can't just look at that like top down like you can the overworld in a very easy way you know your sky and there's nothing between you and the ground um, yeah so yeah I'm not really sure whether that would be you know controlling the y level would be too granular but I like the idea of having different kinds of maps you know like what if there's two or three maybe you get an overworld map an underground map and maybe late game you can get another map where getting lost is is not really an issue it's more about i just want to know where things are you know and and yeah. rather than going into spectator mode or or trying to find looking things up online you could have an in-game way to kind of map the, the nether see a little bit farther than your feet can take you and say oh there's a bastion over there or oh there's a fortress over there or there's the the warped forest biome that i've been looking for like all that kind of stuff could be could be really really fun and from what i've seen in other applications that we've used for trimming chunks, the nether is really colorful when you look at it top down, you know, between the lava lakes, the basalt deltas and the crimson and warped forests. Like it's really cool looking and it's too bad that we can't map it. Yeah, yeah, I, I kind of agree. And I think that's one of the things we've been talking about in previous episodes is moving Minecraft into the 2020s in terms of what's possible with the game and how it looks and the you know quality of life kind of stuff and i think this might be one of those things that sooner or later even though yes it makes sense that the nether is a disorienting place and it's difficult to map and the bedrock ceiling is there and all of that kind of stuff sooner or later stuff like this can come through and catch up i mean we didn't have end maps for a really long time and then those were implemented i think around 1.9 maybe slightly after so I think the the possibility of that is still pretty viable, even if for various reasons it hasn't been there so far. And yeah, like you, I think it, it's a concept that works well circumstantially to control Y level. And if you had maybe like you use one or two or three or four phantom membrane to just reduce the Y level by 32 chunks or something like that, not 32 chunks, 32 blocks each time, mm -hmm. um, just just subtract 32 from the coordinates then it it makes sense up to a point but then if you get any more granular than that it's a little bit more difficult and it it'd be fine with a cave base inside of a large cavern where the ceiling feels very open the the example of Fwip's base on empires 2 is a good one because he's just got a big wide open cavern and lots of little builds just kind of on shelves and on the sides and that kind of thing but then the tighter confines of those like noodle caves 
could be very difficult to map and it's just as viable to build a base there really like some mm. people's bases i think about like ethos man cave base from his long-term single player world covers a whole variety of heights but the corridors are still only like five blocks high in some places and making sure that you covered all of those and made it look like the warren of tunnels that it is is still going to be quite difficult on a map like that it's it's sort of difficult to show all of the facets of an underground setup which is how come top-down maps are just going to work so much better for the surface i do wonder if there would be a way to map like player placed blocks versus non you know like if you, you wouldn't get the ceiling blocks but you might be able to get the the floors and stuff like that but then again if you've placed a ceiling in then that would cause a problem anyway because like nether for example when people do their nether tunnels they tend to do the whole 360 you know like they yeah they do they decorate the whole thing um i I kind of wonder how that would, would work. And it's in one way, like you don't want it to take away from other player projects. Like you could still make a map of your cave system. If you wanted to go to an overworld biome or the end and make like map art block yeah, for block yeah. and actually <laughs> one show, option. Yeah. you know, cause if it would be neat. Like if you had a dungeon and you wanted to be able to show a map of the dungeon to show people where the, the boss room was or or something like that to have a map oh, on the wall don't you know. tempt me joel <laughs> i've got too much work on my plate already but you're talking about dungeon maps after what i'm doing on empires now it's just it's too much yeah. but that that is genuinely an idea i had back in survival guide season one when i was working on the museum like to take it out of the dungeon context and put it somewhere else like i wouldn't have been able to do a top-down view of all of the different rooms of the museum once I'd built the roof and everything else, and I was building that in a modular way where I couldn't just chop the top off of everything so that you could see where everything was. So my alternative to that was, I will go and build a floor plan of the museum somewhere else in a stripped down block palette and just show where the walls are and then maybe have the names of some of the exhibits. And that'd be possible for players to hold in their hand while they were looking around. It wouldn't even need to be to scale with the footprint of the museum as long as you knew what you were doing and you shrunk it down to a scale that would fit on a single map. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. The The other thing that I have a problem with maps is I don't like the colors. The vanilla maps are, are terrible in terms of colors. And I know that they're mm -hmm. probably not going to change it because so many people use it for map art and they use different heights for different shades and it's all this thing. So they're, I don't think they'll ever take it away. But I feel like they could make a version of a map that would be more appealing and entice people to to make a map of their their world i'm spoiled i use the zeros map uh mod on citadel and it has an option for like traditional minecraft colors or colors that better represent the blocks that are in the game sure and yeah it's a much better experience not only can you look at something and go oh that's diorite or that's grass or that's copper right but it also just feels more like the world you're walking around in so you kind of you get your bearings a lot better rather than going like what is that purple thing oh that's a tree okay like just that kind of stuff i always find a little bit off-putting it's um the minecraft colors for the vanilla maps feels very 8-bit to me like it feels very yeah. like nintendo entertainment system so i'm i'm always i i've i've not really spent a lot of time on them um i don't know if there's any kind of mods or data packs that will change that i mean there's there's the zeros map mod but that's a map for the ui it's not like an in-game map item that i can yeah i can tangibly use I, I expect you're not the first person to have had this problem. I expect somebody out there will have thought, yeah, we need a mod for this and made something that's like truer colors for 
for maps and like it, it's it's really interesting to see what people can do with those constraints like i think about the amount of map art building that goes into changing heights so that you have different shades of a certain color and the nuance that gets injected into that and that's the kind of thing where a lot along the same lines as if we put in some kind of redstone component that's an all singing all dancing thing that does whatever the technical community wants it to do is that invalidating all of the effort that goes into working around the fact that we don't have that yet that's what what i think maybe is the case with map art stuff is like if they change the color palette for a start maybe there's a lot more data that they have to store in terms of the potential colors but also all of the people who built really complex images by pillaring up into the sky with like a specific amount of elevation to make sure that their maps have the right kind of shading does that then throw all of that stuff out of the window because they could have just done it with a simpler amount of blocks and a flatter surface the whole time and then you've got the other things like the player map art projects like uh i want to say it's a piston bolt on sidecraft where they have like a subway map yeah they've made mm -hmm. and it actually shows you kind of like there's somewhere else in the world they've made the map art that shows you where these complex tunnels of piston bolts go because you don't want to be on it and then stuck on it going the wrong way for five minutes yeah and, yeah and and just like that kind of stuff like it would have to be additive it wouldn't it, it wouldn't be something that would change existing minecraft stuff it would be like well if you take your map to the cartography table with a you know a book and quill and some dye or something like that then you get better colors but not yeah. replace existing minecraft colors because i think in a lot of ways too there's a lot of you know iconography and um preserving minecraft to a point in the way that they don't change the way that the creeper looks do you know what i mean yeah yeah for sure and i <laughs> i do think what ultimately comes out of this question is like hey cool new uses for the cartography table as well like i'm, I'm always up for 100 workstations been giving a bit more love in that respect um and speaking of things that need a bit more love let's move on to our next question that comes in from the nookie who's an ore producer of our discord and the subject is new uses for diamonds in the end times very ominous uh, good afternoon, Johnny and Joel. In a recent episode, you had a discussion about a new use of diamonds in the late game because they tend to have low value in single player or servers without an economy like on Hermitcraft. What if there was some sort of special workbench where you could trade in diamonds for a variety of design alternatives for certain items? For example, you input iron bars and you get matching to vanilla variations in the smithing shape of the bars or black variants for darker uses. It could be based on unlocking recipes or you pay per stack crafted. Or maybe you get a wand with which you would click on already placed blocks in the world and it cycles through your available texture options with no additional item versions. L unlocking options could be kind of like achievements or that you can learn in Skyrim hidden in treasure chests or maybe even with Minecraft archeology span in the future. I was visiting the Cologne Cathedral recently and dearly wished we had a way to build something that beautiful in Minecraft. Love the podcast. Cheers. The Nookie starved to death because she couldn't decide which texture matched best. I, I feel called out with the death line at the mm -hmm. end. I feel like that is something that I've definitely fallen victim to, whether I've been blown up by a creeper or just purely walked off a cliff or something, just trying to decide what blocks to use. Uh, I love the idea of using in-game resources for end-game recipe unlocks. Uh, I've mentioned Satisfactory already today. I've been playing it a lot more recently. And in Satisfactory, you have a sink, a awesome sink, where you can then destroy items you craft in the game. 
and it gives you tickets like you would get at an arcade an old school mm-hmm. in-person arcade that you can then spend at the awesome shop in satisfactory to unlock things like beams ladders angled walls like a bunch of really cool stuff that you get to to build with it keeps players from getting overwhelmed by all of the play of the building choices when they first start the game it adds gameplay it feels like progression and rewards and it teaches you how to do a bunch of other mechanics as well and there's also it just feels like achievements down the line like when you run out of building materials there's things that just cost astronomical numbers of tickets like you know a golden trophy of your of your player it uh-huh, serves, yeah. it's just it's just bragging rights that you've sunk you know like 500,000 tickets because it takes forever to do that it's just you know it's it's like digging out you know a perimeter in Minecraft it's the bragging rights right and uh I like that the Nookie's idea also involved paying with the materials as well. So it's not that diamonds just get you free stuff. It's you have to use the diamonds as the fee, but then you also have to have the wood or the iron or whatever the material is that you're going to be crafting with you as well. And I think that having that kind of finite like resource, like diamonds being used, like destroyed, you, know, you don't get them back. You know, they just you have to spend them. Uh, in the game would have a really interesting mechanic. Now, I don't know how many of these things you want. I mean, like we already have an inventory crunch. So like, I don't know if I necessarily want to be able to have more variations of things, but I, I feel like it could be something that could balance the effort in versus reward out that we talk about so often on the show where, you know, you want to build something small. You want to be, you want to build something with a lot of detail or something that looks really cool and you get frustrated because you the only way to do it is to do it with like a specific kind of set of blocks and it has all that player kind of problem solving and this does kind of feel like it might fix that like say if you wanted a white picket fence and the way to do that was to take a fence and some diamonds to a crafting bench and or a special crafting bench and then you would get your white picket fence and is that better than the players coming up with their own way to kind of make a white picket fence with what you have in minecraft which is really difficult to do so yeah. I, I like, like the, the artist in me just kind of like drools over stuff like this. And I just like the fact that in, in the Nookie's email, she didn't just say, you, you like, give me the thing. It, it, there's a, there's a finite cost to it. And I think that's important. Yeah. Like I, I think the, the thing that really jumps out to me about this idea is just there being the uses for diamonds and like at a certain point, Diamonds, even on, you know, heavier usage servers like Hermitcraft, where they become part of the economy, they still basically become the items that you show off with. Like this season of Hermitcraft, they built enormous pillars made out of diamond ore and diamond blocks because they didn't really know what else to do with them. The previous seasons, they had them basically be used to pay for land and then they became a throne and then the throne gets stolen and they drive the plot forward, but really they're just ostentatious. They're just used to look like, look how much wealth we have. And, and that's not the hermits themselves being braggy, but it's just like the way it works as part of the series. And I, I think it's appropriate that if they... You know, if if you have a bunch more diamonds that you can pour into aesthetic stuff later, if you just have them lying around, they give you more ways to show off. That seems like commensurate with the idea of diamonds to me. Like I think that that works quite well. And the more I think about it, the more I feel like diamonds as money needs more uses for diamonds to balance it because they feel like a proxy currency now. You know, they're effectively like paper money where it won't actually do anything, but 
you know, we all recognize that they have value and we've all just collectively agreed that they have value. But before that, we have to use them for practical things. They're the first tools that we put together that really feel like they're going to stay with us for a long time. And they have all of that intrinsic value to them because we have known them to be that way for a while. And obviously with villager trading becoming more of like the 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 other route to diamond tools and, and becoming more popular as a result, you end up with diamonds sort of falling by the wayside and just being the enchanting table thing. I think recapturing the actual value of diamonds instead of just the agreed upon value of diamonds actually enhances the agreed upon value of diamonds as well because people can go yeah no that's actually a thing that i need that i would use as a resource for something and it becomes more about bartering for that resource than it does about just kind of paying with cash and i i like that idea i like the idea of reclaiming the value that diamonds have had for us nostalgically for a while the nookie is in our live chat and actually making a, a point that they thought it would be more along the lines of not a mega scale for building but like get details of flowers and ornaments and, and stuff like that and i i agree i think that would be fantastic like you walk by somebody's house and they have something hanging on their front porch that is what you get when you combine you know x amount of diamonds with uh an, a netherite block you know <laughs> and it's like oh wow <laughs> right. okay you sacrifice all that and you get to hang like i don't know what it is you know like it's a skull on a chain or it's a or it's some something more ornate like an anchor you know or or something cool that just you just can't really get anywhere else in the game. Uh, and I think that would be, that'd be interesting. Like, I think it would be, especially on a server where you then have, you know, a bunch of people that, you know, first one to get the anchor or uh, gives a finite cost to something. Because if you know that an anchor costs 32 diamonds, then you can, everything else would scale. Like based on whatever the thing is that has the most value, which would be dictated by how many diamonds it costs, everything would kind of scale down from there. Yeah, and I I think going back to the wand idea as well, like that's the kind of thing that the community has already kind of figured would be a cool idea because there's a mod called Chisel, which is different from Chisels and Bits, if you're familiar with that one. Um, Chisel has been around for a little while and just provides alternate textures for blocks. And you, you put those blocks into a chisel or you right-click on the block with a chisel and it cycles through the different patterns for them. And so there have been... A whole variety of those just kind of loaded in as textures on modded packs that i've played on and i haven't really played that much modded so ideas like that are already out there and it's just how you fit restraint into those ideas and the minimalism that we know from uh from vanilla minecraft and how you make it feel like still a part of the vanilla minecraft world if you want to add variety and detail in that way and does it then take away from the idea that new materials and fun crafting recipes and different stuff could be added to the game and how much of it becomes about, well, why don't we just add that to the the new diamond upgrade system? Like, I, I, I think it's an, an interesting thing to balance in terms of new ideas coming to the game and, you know, interesting ways of implementing them versus just piling onto existing features, you know? Yeah, I think that the, that the wand and the chisel, like, to me, when I hear that kind of um idea it usually speaks to the desire of players wanting more cool stuff but then also speaks to the inventory crunch that we're dealing with so that they try to come up with a way like well i want to add more textures but i don't want more stuff to carry around so like a wand or a chisel or some other kind of table that you make stuff on uh kind of alleviates that especially if you can then because in the mod that i played i think it was chisel or it was something very similar 
and it allowed you to then retexture. So like if you made a bunch of these, we'll call them pillar blocks, and you didn't like them, you could take those pillar blocks back to the same crafting table where you made them and change them into something else mm -hmm. uh, without having now these chisel blocks that you either destroy or put in a chest somewhere and they take up a slot. So yeah. that kind of stuff I find. It, it brings us back to a similar conversation we've had about painting wood, you know? Uh, and uh, like one solution there would be like, well, once you paint the wood, well, like then you've got 16 different colors of wood. And if you start to mine that up because you've made a mistake, then your inventory starts to fill up really quick. But what if when you mine the wood, the wood goes back to normal, like the paint gets destroyed in that process. So there's a yeah. cost to it. So you're, you're sacrificing dye. If you build the thing, don't like it, have to tear it down after you've painted it. Then you're like, well, crap, I'm, I'm now out all of that blue dye because I painted my house blue. Um, yeah. So I feel like there has to be some sort of give and take with it. But then when that happens, like you also run into the inventory squish too. Yeah, I, th I think diamonds seem like a sensible way of not having the player do a ton of that kind of crafting up front just in case, you know what I mean? Like it, it makes it more of a, a deliberate decision to, I'm going to have three of these things because I'm putting three diamonds into this and those feel precious to me you know yeah that kind of makes more sense um on the subject of mods though uh we decided this week we were going to have one of our old school roundtable discussions where we both bring a short topic to the discussion and i believe yours had a bit of modded flavor to it so why don't you kick us off absolutely uh recently Eximavoid from hermitcraft posted a video showcasing a list of performance ui improving and gameplay tweaking mods that they currently use on the hermitcraft server now some of these mods are server side and other our uh, client side that Exumavoid uses when making the videos that you see on YouTube when he does Hermitcraft stuff. And I, it just brought me to a point where there was a lot more mods than I thought there was going to be, especially from a performance standpoint. So the first question I wanted to put out there was, from a performance standpoint, at what point do we as players do too much work to improve and manage the performance of Minecraft? And where should it be out the gate? you know, from, from Mojang yeah. Studios. Uh, and then secondly, from a gameplay perspective, where do we draw the line with mods and data packs to still call the experience quote unquote vanilla or vanilla-esque? You see a lot of vanilla plus and other things, but like yeah. generally people are still saying, oh, this is vanilla Minecraft, but, and you see that yeah. but <laughs> more and more these days. Um, so before I get into it, just out of curiosity, like where do you think we stand in terms of like, performance stuff like do you do you feel like we should be getting a better performing game given how many mods exist to to tweak it it's a difficult question to answer this one like on the surface yeah i would love the game to perform super well right out of the box with no additional need for optimization mods and all of that stuff and it varies, obviously, between Bedrock and Java. We know that Bedrock has, you know, absurdly high render distances if you want that kind of stuff, and, you know, it has RTX that still does render distance better than vanilla Java does on my PC, so that there's there's a lot of different kind of stuff going on between Bedrock and Java. And with Java Edition, I think because it's been around for so long and because it's gone through all of these different phases, people are at the point where... They want to experiment, they want to push the envelope with Minecraft Java Edition. They're doing this with Bedrock Edition as well, of course, but this is just from my experience. I think people are always going to want more out of Minecraft Java Edition. And there has to be a baseline established for people with lower-end systems where like, they're getting this amount of performance. That makes sense. 
and then people with higher end systems you can only reach so far before you're thinking there's only like a, a few individuals out there who will really want to be able to see for 128 chunks in their java edition world but then you know if not why not i think that's one of the things that when um Sly Slime and King B-Dogs were touring the Hermitcraft server with Doc M recently. Sliced even said, like, my main thing on Java Edition, like, my pie-in-the-sky goal would just be, like, you can set a render distance and it renders a bunch of stuff, and that's that's it. Like, it doesn't it doesn't need to be such a performance hog. It doesn't, like, you can, you can have 32-chunk render distances on servers, and it's not going to be, like, it's not going to completely break everything on your PC or on the host PC, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I really think that, yeah, like it, it's it's natural to want to get more out of it. But as we are given more, we also want to take more, if you see what I mean. Like we're always going to try and find that upper limit. And there's always going to be something that like I would love to see a castle way off in the distance from my base where I am here at spawn. But the idea of seeing that in the distance fog is just going to be less and less feasible. Yeah, I'm with you on the render distance and and pushing those kind of limits as well. But my thought for this was going back down to just basic performance. Like we definitely try to get as much performance out of Minecraft as we can on the Citadel. Most of us have decent PCs, but all of us have at least one wish issue or another if we're just playing vanilla Minecraft without any tweaks, client side or server side. It just, it's not an enjoyable playing experience, which to me seems odd you know like i and i and i want to backtrack and say i'm not laying this all at the feet of mojang studios obviously java and the the fact that java is older you know is is also um got some restrictions that i'm not aware of because I'm, I'm not a computer programmer and i feel like you know even having a decent pc i should just be able to play vanilla minecraft and enjoy it while i'm waiting for the mods to update or while i'm waiting for these performance things to be implemented um most of the times we have mods for performance first and then gameplay mods come secondly because it's like well we're already in the modded space because we have to be in order to get a decent frame rate that doesn't make me dizzy when i play yeah you know, so you're already I, running fabric or whatever yeah, right yeah you're running fabric you're running sodium we've got you know lithium and phosphor and i think there's one other one that i'm not remembering but there's a couple that run server side and there's a couple that you run client side and ultimately it helps like it makes for a much smoother experience and so i'm not looking for like because our render distance on the server is like maybe 16 chunks uh maybe 12 i can't really remember i think it's 16 yeah, i think around like 10 or 12 is usually the default and then right. if you've got a a small enough cast and people can be responsible with it then you can boost it to 16 but 16 is the maximum that servers get right and and i think too that we've again we get a small crew six of us very seldom do you see two of us online at the same time and if we do it's like ships passing in the night where some person is logging off as somebody else is logging in right yeah and so performance wise it's it's not bad like i i only notice a real slowdown on the server if there's like three of us in different parts of this five-year-old world loading in everything because like each person is in their own zone which is full of stuff you know over the last five years uh, and so that that kind of thing, I understand we're pushing the server a little bit because of how old the the game the the server is. But um, yeah, it just it just kind of struck me funny that I I have to do so much work every time Minecraft updates to a new version to change all of these mods over. And it just reminded me like when I'm you know a little impatient waiting for the new Hermitcraft season to start as a new game version has come out, you just realize just how much work 
uh, goes into the behind the scenes on something like that because they and they have more than just the performance mods. You know, Exumavoid went out to outline a bunch of other UI mods and quality of life stuff and um, the um, the social things that they use. The really fun stuff that you see on Hermitcraft right now is people replacing music discs with their own sound bites and and, yeah. and mm-hmm. sound files to be able to troll other players, play cool stuff. Like sometimes it's mood music. Uh, I remember Cubfan135 did like an announcement to his Total Chaos game, which I thought was really funny. Yeah, When, it was, when yeah. Tango gets going on Decked Out 2, a lot of that mm. is going to be involved, I have a feeling. It's going to be yeah. a lot of music discs saying things like, you are now entering the dungeon, or whatever. Yeah, exactly. It's going to be a lot of fun. And, that, and, and that's, you know, that leads me into the second part of the questions, like where do we draw the line with mods and data packs that, you know, and still call the experience vanilla. And yeah. for me, I find that, after the performance going on down the line i then check with like gui like that's where i want to make improvements where it makes minecraft feel a little bit more modern like a modern video game it takes some of the hassle out of like going through shulker boxes so things like the shulker box tool tip or zeros mini map or world map that i mentioned earlier in the, in the show today uh, or mini hud which we use mostly for just showing light levels it's just a super fast way like rather than using the convoluted f3 screen i just tap one button and there's a number on the block on the ground that says light level one through or zero through 15. and if there's no number it means that it's a slab or or it's got something there where there's it's not a spawnable space to, to begin with so i don't have to worry about it it is the easiest thing to do uh, and even though MiniHUD does a lot more than that, that's the main purpose of it. So a lot of the next kind of tier of mods that we add are, you know, just GUI stuff. And then we get into um, tools that are used for maybe streamers or more social stuff like simple voice chat, Zoomify for zooming in and like pointing stuff out to your viewers, things like that. I've not pulled a trigger on FreeCam, and this is kind of one of these funny things for me where... I like I resist it because like if I want to I'm the admin on the server I can just go into spectator mode and fly around but mm-hmm. I don't yeah. do that because my my viewers are potentially playing on servers where they're not the admin and they can't just flip to to you know utilize spectator mode to see their build from a different angle so I'm the one that's zipping around with my elytra and trying to get different angles and stuff like that and I, I just haven't installed the free cam thing just because it feels a little bit like a deviation from the vanilla survival experience too much. Yeah. I might be changing my tune if I was trying to make YouTube videos full time. Like I can understand <laughs> the time crunch and like I get annoyed with how much I have to fly back and forth and look at things. But my m- kind of motor op- mode of operation for that on the server is like I don't try to just fly up on top of stuff to see what it looks like from a far away. I try to fly to other vantage points in the town, like the wall around the town or looking at something from the main courtyard or the window of another building. I try not just to like go find the highest mountain or try to hover above it and see what it looks like. I do that for screenshots, but that's different. That's just, that's just trying to get a little bit more of a cinematic look for stuff I post on Twitter. Um, and then lastly, uh, where we deviate for fun uh, and for some convenience, are things like data packs for tables and chairs, armor statues. We don't really have any mods that really push the gameplay. Um, one could argue, are data packs really mods? Or are they not? But the, are the, that, the data packs are kind of like where we get most of our deviations from. The other one would be like the mini heads. So you can get you get the mini heads from 
animals and blocks and, and you can trade with the wandering trader and get many versions of blocks. And it just allows you to have a little bit more decoration. And all of it seems to stem from me wanting more sub blocks, especially when it makes sense. Like I really feel like Minecraft should have tables and chairs. And yeah. so I let myself have that data pack and I try to make it look as close to vanilla as possible. There's virtually no detail in these chairs. They are just, they look like planks in stair form, you know, um, the other thing is the ability to play something off the grid. We talked about this a couple of weeks ago when I had that shield leaning up against the pillar and how much that sold the work that was going on in the blacksmithing shop. Uh, and then the last thing for me is the ability to use something like the armor stand data pack to nudge something into a space where it normally couldn't go because the sub blocks like a trap door take up the entire block space. So mm -hmm. you can't always put a trapdoor and an item in an item frame in the same spot. And so by using the, the armor stand data pack, I'm allowing myself to like put a crossed sword plaque on the wall, or I try not to overuse it, but just, there's just some times where it just really sells a room or just is a nice little key piece. And this goes all the way back to what, you know, the Nookie was talking about with, you know, how cool would it be if you could just use diamonds to purchase coat of arms you know yeah. that you could either put on like put on even if it's something on banners or or something that you could apply to a map or to an item frame just anything to kind of give you that sub block detail that doesn't affect like every other block in the game and that's where i usually have a problem with texture packs is that if you're doing texture packs and data packs sometimes you have to sacrifice something else to retexture it and where yeah. data packs come in, you can say like, all right, well, I'm going to give you this ability to do with an armor stand. And it doesn't, it doesn't take away anything else in the game. You're not sacrificing your end stone to make another brick color. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Like, I think the main thing that comes down to this, the, the main thing I think of when we're talking about where all of these types of mods deviate from the vanilla experience is I think it boils down to does the mod only exist to adjust cosmetic stuff? Like, is it aesthetically driven rather than it being alterations to gameplay? Because, yeah, like, I, I consider the Empire server still a modded server in the sense that we use mods quite heavily, but only to change stuff that we could do with a resource pack if resource packs were just a little bit better at what they did and, and uh, i mean that's probably not the kindest way to put it if resource packs gave us more options so like for example a week or so ago smallish beans threw a splash potion at somebody and some magic happened behind the scenes and that person was shrunk to half the size like their their character model rendered in like a baby <laughs> villager size lore happened right awesome. but it's fun and the 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 foundation of that could not be done, I believe, with the current way resource packs work, which is why our mod team has been fiddling with some stuff behind the scenes. They're also doing some neat stuff with entity transparency and stuff that like stuff that doesn't normally isn't normally allowed with resource packs. And there are various good reasons for that. Like if you can make a player completely transparent, then you can have somebody cheating in Sky Wars or any kind of like competitive game scenario right just by changing their skin so that i can see why it doesn't exist 
but for the purposes of creating theatrical experiences on empires, that's one of the things we want to do. So we have mods behind the scenes that let us do things like that. But the blocks on the server and everything are still gameplay. The players are still constrained by survival gameplay as it exists in the out-of-the-box vanilla. You can even log into the Empire's server with a purely vanilla client. Things are going to look a little bit strange, and you're not going to see some of the special effects and stuff that happen, but you can log in with straight vanilla and it works. And I feel like you couldn't do that if it was a server that required like content mods to be there in the folder. So... I think when we draw the line, really, it comes down to aesthetic stuff. And the same goes for Hermitcraft. Like, they have a few data packs and mods and stuff like that that allow them to do things like, like you were saying, add sound clips to music discs and goat horns, that kind of thing. They can retexture certain items if they're given specific names or if they are, you know, combined. On Empires now, we have essences for each of the different Empires, which are, again, part of this mod that we've got running behind the scenes that allows us to combine weapons with essence in a smithing table or use the essence on mobs that we've, you know, figured out we want to have as part of our collection of villagers or whatever and use the essence on that thing and it transforms the texture of it while still keeping all of the functionality the same and it's all just aesthetics it's all just stuff that we couldn't have a resource pack for villagers that didn't apply to everybody's villagers server wide without coming up with a system that allowed us to just apply it to one villager in particular and so that's really where I stand on the vanilla argument with this stuff, is that the gameplay all stays vanilla, and it's just stuff that we could be doing with resource packs if resource packs gave us a lot more options. Yeah, no, that may, and that makes a lot of sense. And I think that's where things like the tables and chairs come in, is because yeah. those those are just, I don't remember the exact name for the for the the data point, but it's something to do with like, it's extra data or external data, but they're trapdoors. The trapdoor is just given a specific value and then that value is assigned a new model and a new texture. And that's it. And so when you put it down, there's a brief minute where it kind of goes, bonk, you know, and it looks like, sorry, tables, not chairs. The chairs are actually pigs. <laughs> They're pigs with, <laughs> with um, saddles on them so that you can sit in the chair. It's just that the pig has got no AI and just is invisible. So it stays there yeah. permanently. But the tables are the ones that have the, da the, um, the trap door. And the tables have different leg combinations. No, one leg, two legs, three legs, four legs. And by um, clicking on the trap door and essentially using it, you can see it flip. And all it is, is just saying like, every time you flip the door, give it some really large random number that Minecraft vanilla is never going to utilize and hopefully no other mod will either. And just give it those different models. So like 3,412, 13, 14, 15 are the different configurations for the, the tables and legs. I'm probably butchering how it actually works, but it, it really allows you to have like some options there. And it's really, you know, clever. And if you can do stuff like that with what you guys are doing on, on empires, like that's really it's it's really freeing to allow those kind of things where you could do something to your builds that um one other members on the server will see without any extra work on their part because they're running the same data packs and mods and two won't affect all of the things that they have so like if you change um you know for example uh i think the way that they do the hats on hermitcraft is if it's a carved pumpkin and yeah. then they give it a different value or they give it a different name and then it becomes whatever hat model they want. 
And that's really cool, provided it doesn't change all of the carved pumpkins for everyone into witch hats. You know what I mean? And yeah. that, I think, is really powerful and, and kind of a good illustration of what you're talking about with if texture packs did more, then that's where kind of like it, it, it we wish it could do that, but it, we have to go externally to kind of get it done. Yeah, I, I think I see it as a similar approach to the way like a lot of online games like first person shooter games like Fortnite or whatever a lot of the things that you can buy for use in that game are just cosmetics right, right. like they don't yes. have anything that alters gameplay for you in a way that makes the game feel pay to win and it almost feels like the same methodology being applied to the modded stuff is that we don't have anything that feels like it's unbalancing vanilla gameplay for us or for everybody else on the server so that kind of keeps it in the vanilla wheelhouse while allowing us to just change the look of things however we want. Like, even stuff like running shaders, running Optifine is, you know, it's, it's technically a mod, you know, it's, and, and this is one of the reasons why I've kept Survival Guide completely vanilla this entire time, but the only time I've done anything with mods in Survival Guide is I wanted to load up a fabric instance with replay mods so that I could record a cool-looking time-lapse and make the series look better. Technically speaking, that took Survival Guide into the realm of modded Minecraft, but only so I could make a better-looking video. And again, it's all about the aesthetic side of things, and then I just went... I, I copied the folder straight back into my vanilla folder, and that was it. But, you know, the, I, I think some people draw the line at a variety of different places when it comes to the vanilla experience and i think there is still room for mods to be out there challenging whether or not the vanilla experience can be made better at the base level so these are still really good questions to ask in terms of what performance should we expect from vanilla minecraft and how much performance should be allowed to kind of you know creep up as far as community effort goes and it's not our job to fix everything about the game just so we can make it playable. And that's why, you know, development of the game is an ongoing ongoing process with so many additional tweaks and things like that moving forward. Like, the technology has to move forward all of the time, which, fingers crossed, is something that Mojang continues to do for the foreseeable future. So what do you have brought to the roundtable this week? Well, I'm talking a little bit more aesthetics myself, actually, because I noticed this week, and I didn't include this in the newsread because it wasn't officially announced anywhere, but some folks noticed on the Minecraft Reddit, and it was confirmed in a couple of developer tweets that later got deleted, so we won't quote them here. But um, apropos of nothing in particular, the Minecraft art team added updated default skins for both Steve and Alex to the Minecraft launcher this week. Uh, I've included a link in our show notes that links to a side-by-side -side comparison on Reddit. It. And it may be that the tweets got taken down because they still had, you know, a couple of tweaks they wanted to make to the textures. Maybe it wasn't ready to be announced yet. I don't know what the specifics are there. But um, for a start, Steve's classic goatee beard returned after having been part of marketing material and other appearances of Steve, like when he's in um, Smash. I think uh, he's in, he's got his kind of old school beard look. I think even in Minecraft Dungeons, maybe he does. Um, but those have been edited out of the default Steve skin for a while. And then Alex's shirt texture was adjusted, and both of them have had some extra layering from that 3D layer, the kind of hat layer that now applies to the entire body of a Minecraft skin. They've got some rolled up sleeves, there's a bit of hair texture, that kind of stuff. Um, and so that kind of got me thinking about how important a Minecraft skin is to a player's self-expression, and how that can be subverted as well. Like... I think you and I both have skins which are meant to be 
more or less in-game representations of our real world selves. Like, I know that's the case for me. I think we might have talked about this before, but remind me, did you model your Minecraft skin after yourself? Uh, the head, yes, that's hand-drawn by me. I made myself a cartoon of myself because I have those skills. Uh, mm -hmm. The rest of it is, I'm pretty sure, just a farmer skin that I sure. downloaded. So it's got blue jeans and a plaid shirt. It's kind of a fun Canadian stereotype and and at the time when i first started playing i was doing all these redstone farms around the dartmouth meadows so i kind of had myself as like i was the local farmer sort of deal um and but i had my own glasses and my own little newsboy cap and like all that kind of stuff it was fun to do actually uh especially because like i downloaded most of the body tweaked it a little bit so that i could have my sleeves rolled up and stuff like that but then the the head was where i put all the work the, the sleeves and the, the pants and the feet and everything it was just it's normal you know download the, the skins that I liked and took the things that I liked from them and just kind of like cobbled them together in, in Minecraft. And I've not changed it since. <laughs> like I've just, yeah, it doesn't really matter because I don't see it and I'm not, um, we don't do a lot of cross player stuff on the Citadel. So I don't show up in other people's streams. No one does YouTube videos. So it's not like it's a, uh, a marketing or any part of my quote unquote branding, you know? Yeah, whereas, sure, sure. Whereas skins on Hermitcraft or skins for you guys on Empires are much more iconic and thematic depending on what's going on during the season. Yeah, and, and thinking about the more iconic Minecraft skins that are out there really got me thinking about this because take um, Dream, for example. I don't know if you're familiar with the way Dream's Minecraft skin looks, but it's basically a green, like solid color, like lime green across most of it and then the lower half of the body is just like a crudely drawn cartoon of a smiley face right and that's been interpreted by fans in all sorts of different ways but he doesn't look like a person in that minecraft skin like it's not meant to be a representation of him in reality and a lot of people favor that like some people have skins that don't look like people that ranges from things like anthropomorphic animals you know pig walking on its hind legs kind of literally which of course we have in other regions of minecraft but you know that that goes to all sorts of animals um, you have, you know, player-shaped Minecraft mobs. You have people who walk around as zombie pigmen or, you know, Enderman, but in a smaller scale and that kind of stuff. And then you have the abstract stuff like dream skin, like, you know, block colors, patterns. Adrian Brightmore, who's a guy we've talked about before, who kind of codes Python stuff into Minecraft and does all sorts of fantastic geometrical stuff, generates fractals in Minecraft, really dabbles in the mathematical side of the game. His skin is more like a fractal pattern or a set of kind of MC Escher style lines. It really looks like it should be an optical illusion if you look at it for too long. And so there are people who have that as a form of self-expression. They create a character for themselves instead of having it look like themselves. But, you know, like you, I modeled mine, the faces modeled after my face at the time, um, and not my face has changed all that much, but like the hair and everything is just like clearly, I, I don't... I don't trim my Minecraft skin's hair every time I have a haircut, but, you know, you, you get the idea. All of the clothes that I'm wearing are clothes that I wore regularly at the time that I was designing my own Minecraft skin, and that, like you said, has now spiralled out into my brand. But I've now started adjusting it here and there for servers with a more thematic approach, like Empires. But that's got me thinking about how far I would want to go with that, and I don't think that you or I would really feel comfortable walking around in a skin that was just like a solid color like even if you don't see that stuff yourself you wouldn't want to be like this weird amorphous magenta humanoid 
would you? Because that like that feels like if other people see that, it's going to feel like an alien is walking around rather than Joel. Is, is that correct? Yes. But like I, I like to think of myself as, as part of the world walking around building it. So yeah, I definitely like the idea of the personification. Uh, we do have skins on the server that are not necessarily humanoid, but it's things like... Um, Anna Marie, I think, had like her whole skin was like a Daft Punk sort of situation. So she had like a great big helmet. You know, mm-hmm. it looked more yeah. it looked more like um, No Man's Sky than than it did yeah. Minecraft, but still had like you know head, arms, legs, that kind of thing. Yeah, um, of course. But yeah, like I'm not. I I don't really think of myself as like an entity or or skins that like have weird sort of non-humanoid stuff i definitely would stick to to that i could see myself changing it if i had the time to like change it for halloween or christmas you know put it like a santa hat on or something like that could be kind of fun um but all it would all pretty much stay with me as my as my face but i think that's just my we'll call it lack of imagination in terms of like rp and and playing because like i again i don't really throw myself into the game so much that I need my skin to change because no one sees it most of the time. I mean, yeah. 90% of the time, it's just me and the stream and you're looking at a first person view. There's no mirrors in Minecraft. So like, you don't, yeah. you don't ever get to see me. I'm, I'm not even one of those people that does the third person view where like I look at the camera with my Minecraft avatar. I just, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, yeah, I speak to people via the stream more like they're sitting in the room with me over my shoulder, not that I'm talking to the television camera. You know what I mean? Yeah, so. yeah. And it's funny. I think you might see your skin a little bit more often than you think, just because it's always there when you open your inventory. It's covered and by armor. Yeah, and that's the thing. Like that's when it's covered by armor. And so you know, you, you see usually the torso if you're wearing a lightra more regularly. But then yeah, you you open that kind of little puppet version of yourself appears in the inventory and that's when people notice like when i've changed my skin on streams if i've like left myself in my normal skin and gone onto empires right after recording a survival guide video i'll open my inventory just to change some stuff around i won't even notice but then somebody in the chat will say oh hey you haven't changed your skin you're not you're not you on empires right, right. now and and that's really interesting like the amount that people pay attention to stuff like that is really funny when i'm just there to do whatever business i have on empires that day yeah um so so there's there's there is still like an element to which those details really do matter even if we're not consciously aware of them while we're playing the game a lot of the time. And that's why I find it really interesting when other players adopt for maybe like more generic skins that don't necessarily look like them, maybe they might represent their personality or maybe it's just like trends in what's popular. And for a while on bedrock edition or the console edition of the game you couldn't import your own skin so it didn't really feel like you you just had like a selection of downloadable skins to choose from instead of it being something that could really truly represent your personality you had to choose a a proxy character like that but to me it feels really weird when i notice myself in a replay mod time lapse when there's this occasional bug where my skin doesn't load in for the first second of footage that i have and so i normally leave a bit of a buffer but you'll notice it in a couple of my time lapses i'm steve for like a fraction of a second at the start of a clip and then my skin loads in oh. and, and that that carries through to the render as well and it's a it's a bug that i i have to work around a little bit and it's not the biggest deal in the world now that i know it happens but for a couple of those shots 
I realized that Steve was building something and I had this weird, like almost out of body experience with it where I was like, that doesn't look like I'm building it. Even though I did the entire thing, I know I was there, but just something about the fact that the default skin showed up for a second or two made it feel like it was somebody else doing it. And that's really strange to me. The attachment that we get to our Minecraft skins, even if they don't necessarily look like us, I think it's one of those odd things that's indistinguishable from like your own self-image in a way that like, you know, if we woke up from the Matrix, would we look like all of these Minecraft people? And that even extends to other people using your Minecraft skin for stuff. Like I've definitely had screenshots sent to me of somebody who had logged into, I don't know, a minigame server like Hypixel or somewhere using my Minecraft skin. And I thought, that's weird mm. <laughs> because they're, they're, they're just like, it, to them, it's just a Minecraft skin. It's just like, hey, I've got somebody else's design for this. But for me, that's me. <laughs> mm -hmm. And and so I've I've had this weird kind of back and forth going on, this back and forth conversation about does the skin make the man in this case like you know how how comfortable are we with this as our self-image and what's uh what what give and take do we have with that kind of stuff now i wonder with the people that are really invested in the avatar and really notice that kind of stuff right away i wonder if it's i don't want to say like necessarily a generation gap but maybe a use case so for example if Minecraft was or is the first social experience that you've had online and you don't know or have other avenues to talk to your friends, you met and you tend to socialize in Minecraft on a Minecraft server, then that be kind of becomes how your friends see you. And I can see yeah. how that becomes way more important than for me, I'm going to talk to you on Discord or Twitter or we're going to text one another, you know, compared to logging into Minecraft and always using the avatars. And that for me, like a good par portion of that is like me being, you know, a, a little bit older in terms of how I see myself online. But recently, like I, I just changed my Twitter, Twitch, Discord avatar from a cartoon that I drew of myself from like 2004. Uh, that's very, it's old. It looked like me, but it looked like me in 2004. And I updated it to a photo of myself because I don't do as much art as I used to. I do more content creation. And granted, I'm not on any kind of webcam on a regular basis. I just thought, well, maybe it's time to just put a face to what's going on. And uh, a lot of people noticed. And, you know, mm -hmm. am I on the right server? Like, oh, I did, am I on the right, am I on the right uh, Twitch channel? I didn't, you changed your logo. It's like, well, it's not my logo. It's just my face, but like that kind of stuff. And so people, I noticed that people do get attached to that kind of thing. Um, if someone has a logo on social media and I'm looking for them on Twitch, like I don't even look for a name. I look for like the purple logo, you know, like if, or yeah. tang you know, Tango Tech's got like a bright red and white logo. Like I look for that and then I'll find, you know, and there might be a handful of people that have a red logo that I follow, but I'll be able to find Tango much faster by just looking for the right thing. Um, so I understand that changing it up can be a little bit confusing. And I've had that happen when people on the server change their, their skins. Cosmic changes their skins regular, regularly for different occasions. And I will like, did you change your skin or like, Oh, what's this for? Like, let me know. So I know like what you're, what you're communicating with it. And I think that's that, that kind of stuff is, is cool. Um, it's, uh, it's just one of those things that I guess I take for granted because yeah you know because i don't spend as much time socializing in minecraft because even again on the citadel we talk on the discord versus yeah in the game sure, most sure. of the time right 
Yeah, yeah. It, it, I think it, you see a lot more of other people's skins if you're using simple voice chat and you're like going to visit them mm -hmm. to talk to them and have a conversation, right? That makes sense. Uh, one last thing before we wrap up the show. Now that your face is out there more frequently, if it's in your Twitter avatar and whatnot, have you had anybody then come into your stream and say, oh, hey, your Minecraft character looks like you? Not yet. Uh, I'm also not wearing glasses in the photo that I've shared online where I do wear sure. glasses in Minecraft, but, um, and there are pictures of me like Instagram. There's definitely the odd photo. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, I've not, I've not had that happen. I think maybe when I first did it, someone commented like, oh, it actually does look like you. Um, mm -hmm. but, but yeah, it's been, it's been a while because again, the avatar that I had drawn, the cartoon of me. Ha did not have a hat on and wasn't and was wearing glasses but i have like clear acetate glasses and the avatar was so old it was like old glasses that were like the heavy dark rim glasses that i had mm -hmm. at the time so yeah it's it's one of those things where the, even the avatar while it looked like me did not look like my minecraft avatar so uh i've not had that happen yet no yeah, well, it's something that happens to me occasionally, and it, usually it's just as, as subtle as somebody coming in and being like, oh, hey, I, this is my first time seeing your face. You look how I imagined. And I'm like, that's right. because my Minecraft character looks, looks like, like me. You, and yeah. like, and, and I, I have had some people say like, oh, yeah, you look like your Minecraft character. I'm like, yep, there is a very good reason for that. <laughs> it's because it's me. And I usually have to get the jumper out of the cupboard and show everybody like, look, these are my clothes. It's, it's fun. But yeah, Minecraft characters are such an interesting like it's your your online avatar for a lot of things and in some games that might only be mildly customizable you might be picking from a range of presets whereas in minecraft i feel like the freedom for self-expression is really there and all it takes is a bit of imagination somebody else with some artistic skills or your own artistic skills to come up with something that looks truly like you if on the inside maybe if not on the outside um that's where we're going to leave it for today. Thank you so much for joining us for the discussion. That's going to wrap up this episode of The Spawn Chunks. You can find more information about the show and links to some of the stuff that we've talked about today at thespawnchunks.com. The music for the show is composed by me, and The Spawn Chunks is proud to be a listener-supported podcast. If you're getting some value out of the show, why not consider putting some value back in? You can do that at patreon.com slash thespawnchunks. Joining our community, pledging at any level, gets you an invite to our patrons-only Discord chat. You can listen to the show live as it's recorded in Discord every week, and you can join our monthly minecraft audio hangout which once again is coming up this coming saturday uh it also gets us closer to our future goals whatever they may be for the development of the podcast and we currently have 347 patrons which is up three from last week so welcome on board the three of you there's always room for more special thanks go out to our content engineer patrons hunter 555 jumbo sale and yitz for your support on this episode Sharing the podcast with your friends is the easiest way to support the show. You can find us at The Spawn Chunks on Twitter and Instagram. Personal recommendations are by far the best way to share the podcast. Just tell a friend about The Spawn Chunks and that they can listen on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and even YouTube. You can email the show at spawnchunkmail at gmail.com. The RSS feed is linked on thespawnchunks.com and the patron-only RSS feed is on the Patreon page. That's where you can listen to the render distance, the extended version of the podcast. My name is Johnny, but online I go by Pixorifs. You can find most of what I do at youtube.com slash where I try to make sense of this bizarre and wonderful game in Season 2 of the Minecraft Survival Guide and Empire's SMP. I also stream three days a week on Twitch, where I do behind-the-scenes work for the aforementioned YouTube series, and I'm the voice of the unofficial Hermitcraft recap, which you can find through a quick YouTube search. Aside from that, I'm at Pixorifs on both Twitter and Instagram. Joel, where can people find you online? 
Everything I'm up to online, including my illustration and design portfolio, is at joelduggan.com. You can listen to The Citadel Cafe, my other podcast about sci-fi and fantasy entertainment, over at thecitadelcafe.com. And you can follow me at Joel Duggan on social media and Joel Duggan on Twitch, where I stream at least three days a week from The Citadel. Thanks for visiting the Spawn Chunks. The world outside is infinite, but is that too much?